Hi everyone and welcome to episode 35 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And today's case is from Iceland and starts in 2010. The man at the centre of this story is 37-year-old Hannes Thors Helgeson. I really wanted to cover this case as it's not really very well known at all, but unfortunately it hasn't been heavily reported on that much, so I'm going to do my best to present all the information that is out there for you. So, 37-year-old Hannes had a fair bit of money because he was a successful businessman. He was the CEO of Goa, a large and successful chocolate and confectionery manufacturer in Iceland. He had a wonderfully large home, which he shared with his girlfriend Hilda. Hilda was about 14 years younger than Hannes. She was around 23 or 24 years old. She lived at Hannes's place most of the time, although it doesn't appear that the two had actually officially moved in with each other. Some reports state that Hannes and Hilda were engaged, whereas other reports refer to Hilda as his girlfriend. However, in interviews I've seen, Hilda does refer to herself as his fiancé, so I will refer to her as his fiancé throughout this episode. Other than living with Hilda, Hannes also shared his home with his sister and her friend. It seems this arrangement wasn't particularly permanent, but Hannes had opened up his home to his sister and friend whilst they were in between apartments. This really does seem to be the sort of person Hannes was. He was very caring and he used his successes with his career to benefit and help other people. If someone needed a place to stay, he would let them stay with him. If Hilda wanted to go out partying and get drunk, Hannes would stay sober and drive her around to make sure she was safe and okay. And this is exactly what happened on Saturday the 14th of August 2010. On this day, Hilda wanted to go to a friend's house for a gathering and Hannes said he would drive her and not drink so that he could drive her home. By around midnight, the party was in full swing and everyone was drinking and having a good time, so much so that Hilda didn't want the night to end. She told Hannes that she wanted to go out and go into town and asked if he wanted to go too. Obviously, Hannes hadn't been drinking and wasn't really feeling it, but true to his nature of being very kind to those he loved, he told Hilda that he would take her home to change her outfit and then take her into town to the bars if that is what she wanted to do. He said he'd then go home to sleep. Hilda said that she wasn't sure who to go out with and Hannah suggested that maybe she should phone her friend Gunnar. Gunnar was someone Hilda's age who Hilda had been in school with and had known for many years. There had been a slightly awkward moment in their friendship about a year and a half before when Gunnar had put a video on YouTube confessing his love for Hilda. She had found this incredibly embarrassing and she also felt sorry for Gunnar. She hadn't realised he felt that way and these feelings were not reciprocated by her. She had just started her relationship with Hannes at that point and she was really happy. That's quite weird that Hannes is then suggesting they go out together. Like, obviously he trusts Hilda, but it's just quite an unusual dynamic, isn't it? Well, completely. But I think Hannes really, he just wasn't bothered and he wasn't really intimidated by Gunnar either or kind of this outpouring of love for Hilda. I think, Mm. like you said, he felt very secure in his relationship. Um, And he did actually quite like Gunnar. He thought that the guy was really nice and he was a really good friend to Hilda. And so he kind of liked him because he was um, very kind and caring towards Hilda. So he liked Gunnar because of that. Mm. So Hilda called Gunnar that night and the two made arrangements to meet at a bar in town. Hannes drove Hilda home to change and then took her to the bar. She arrived there about 1.30 in the morning. Hannes then went home and got into bed and fell asleep. In town, Hilda and Gunnar had more to drink and they went on a bar crawl of sorts. By 5.30am, Hilda was incredibly drunk and was struggling to walk, so Gunnar helped her into his car. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know bars obviously stay a lot, um, stay open a lot later in Iceland than they do over here. <laughs> yeah, big time. I would literally be crawling by five thirty. Yeah, no, <laughs> I would 100% be passed out. <laughs> so um, despite having spent the entire night drinking, Gunnar helped Hilda into his car and then he decided to drive Hilda and himself home. Usually on a night out, he would drive Hilda back to Hannes's home, but on this occasion, he didn't. In an act of chivalry, it seems, he took her back to his and put her in his bed. He then went downstairs and slept on the sofa. When Hilda woke up at about 11.30 the next morning, she felt incredibly embarrassed and awkward when she realised that she was in Gunnar's bedroom. She couldn't remember much about the night at all, but was relieved at least to see that Gunnar was not in the bed with her. She grabbed her phone and phoned Hannes, nervous that he would be worried that she hadn't come home and that it was now so late the next morning. However, Hannes didn't pick up the phone. She grabbed her things and went downstairs, where Gunnar was on the sofa with his little brother watching some TV. When she entered the room, Gunnar looked up and asked if she was okay, and she just said that she just wanted to go home. He offered to drive her home, and she accepted. When they pulled up outside Hannes's home, Gunnar asked Hilda if he should come inside. She said that it was fine, but he pushed and said, I can come in if you like, or I can walk you to the door. But she said again, no, it's fine. She said she was tired and she just wanted to get in and see Hannes and get some rest. She thanked him for the lift and walked up the steps to the front door. She let herself in and called out to Hannes, but there was no answer. She went upstairs and immediately screamed. Hannes was lying in a pool of blood just outside their bedroom door. She quickly got her phone and called the police, and panicked, she ran out the front door and stood on the porch. At that moment, Hannes's sister pulled into the drive. Neither his sister or her friend, who had been living with them, had been home that night. They'd both made plans to go out and had stayed at a friend's house. Hilda screamed at them that something had happened to Hannes, and the friend ran inside to see what was going on. When he reappeared, he looked sick and very pale, and it was at this moment that Hilda knew that what she thought she'd seen had been real. Hannes really was dead. The police arrived at the house quickly, but within a few minutes of assessing the crime scene, they called for backup. The house was very large and there was a lot of evidence that needed to be collected. The medical examiner determined that Hannes had died as a result of multiple stab wounds and loss of blood. Hannes had been stabbed more than 20 times. There were some wounds on his arms that indicated that he'd tried to fight his attacker off. The pattern of the wounds and the blood spatter on the bed and on the floor indicated that Hannes had been stabbed twice whilst he had been in bed. It then appeared that he had woken up, fallen out of the side of his bed and tried to crawl away. In the doorway to his bedroom, he was then stabbed in his neck, his back, his head, and he was then subjected to an array of frenzy stabs all over his back, his neck, and the back of his arms. Almost immediately, all of Hannes's known friends and family were called in for interviews with the police. This series of interviews revealed to the police that Hannes had been scared of some debt collectors and that Hannes had recently returned home from Lithuania. A suggestion was made that maybe he had had a hit put out on him from the Lithuanian Mafia. This made little sense though, Hannes wasn't involved in gangs or drugs or anything of that nature, so police started to look more thoroughly at those who were closest to him. Hilda was brought in for questioning and she was asked where she had been all night and why she hadn't been home. She explained that she had gotten very drunk and had crashed at Gunnar's house. She said that she couldn't remember being taken there or going to bed, but she said that when she woke up, Gunnar hadn't been in the room with her and that he had been downstairs with his little brother. 
presumably because of this statement and the fact that Gunnar was a friend of Hannes's, Gunnar was brought in for questioning very late on the 15th of August. He explained that he had been out with Hilda all night and that the pair had gone back to his house to sleep. He was asked why he hadn't taken Hilda home, but Gunnar said that he was just concerned as she was very drunk and he wanted to make sure she was going to be okay. The police brought up his confession of love for Hilda, but Gunnar brushed this off saying that this was old news and wasn't how he felt anymore. He and Hilda were just friends. The police said that Gunnar didn't really appear to be that upset that his friend Hannes had died, but Gunnar said that he hadn't really been friends with him. Hannes had just been his friend's boyfriend. Gunnar's interview ended and he went home. However, the next day, the police turned up at Gunnar's house and arrested him for the murder of Hannes Thors Helgeson. It's really unclear on what grounds they arrested him on, to be honest. There didn't seem to be any evidence against him that the police had at that point, and this was sort of backed up by the fact that they then released him after 24 hours, having no evidence and having failed to obtain a confession from him. Yeah, I suppose what they've really got is a motive, but also you'd kind of think he's got a pretty airtight alibi if they were in public bars and things. Mm, Well, completely. Um, I think they wanted to get a confession from him and I think that would have kind of solidified their arrest but obviously they didn't get that from him so yeah they had to release him. So to the outside world it really looked like the police were struggling to come up with a suspect although the police officers working on this case say that there was lots going on behind the scenes. The police had very little in the way of DNA evidence or any physical evidence but what they did have was a shoe print by Hannes's bed. The police believed this shoe print belonged to the killer They took a photo of the print and sent this for tests. On the 25th of August, 10 days after Hannes was murdered, the database matched the shoe print to an Adidas shoe. A quick search of sellers of this shoe in Iceland revealed that there were only 18 pairs of that type of Adidas shoe in Iceland at that time. I was going to say, if this was any other country with like a bigger population, then that wouldn't have really showed anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, how lucky that you could actually narrow print down to 18 people. Yeah, that's so true, especially if something as common as an Adidas shoe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The police soon realised that one of those 18 pairs of Adidas shoes sat in a forensic room at the police station, and they'd been confiscated from Gunnar when he had been arrested less than two weeks before. The police took the shoe and matched it to the shoe print. It was the same size and the same shape and had the same pattern on the bottom as the print in the bedroom. Moreover, Further analysis revealed that the shoe had traces of blood on it. The police really felt like Gunnar was the perpetrator in this case. He had motive, he had been in love with Hannes's fiance. he had known that Hannes would be home alone that night, and the shoes he owned matched prints found at the crime scene, and they had traces of blood on them. Gunnar was once again arrested, and this evidence, most of which was fairly circumstantial, was presented to him. Gunnar denied everything, He asked them what proof they had. He told them it wasn't him. The officers worked hard to break him. They spent days interrogating him. And eventually, Gunnar confessed to what he had done. What? Mm Mm-hmm. On the 4th of September 2010, the police called a press conference and revealed that they had arrested and charged 23-year-old Gunnar Sigurdorsson for the murder of 37-year-old Hannes Thors Helgeson. This is what Gunnar revealed in his confession to the police. He said that on the night of the 14th, he had driven over to Hannes' house and sat outside it. He said that for almost a year and a half, he had thought and dreamt about killing Hannes. 
Over the years, he had collected items that he would add to his kill kit that he knew one day he'd use to kill Hannes. These items included a knife that he had stolen from a shop, some gloves that he had bought from a convenience store, a balaclava, some plastic bags, and other items like that. He would buy or steal an item to add to his kit and hide it in his boot, along with other things that he had acquired. He said that when he did this, it suppressed his urge to kill for a little bit, but he said that the urge always came back again. He said that on the night of the 14th, he had sat outside Hannes's house, and then, when he'd realised that Hannes and Hilda were out at a party, he had driven into town to drink at a bar. He said that this is when he had gotten a text from Hilda asking if he wanted to go for drinks, and of course, he had said yes. Hilda was dropped at the bar, and the pair, as we know, went drinking at several different bars. It's unclear whether or not Gunnar spiked Hilda's drink that night. It was never tested or asked, but Hilda is certain that he did, as she said that there is so much from that night that she can't remember. Once Gunnar had driven Hilda home and put her in his bed, Instead of going downstairs and sleeping on the sofa as he had said he had done, he got into his car and drove to a school near to where Hannes lived. He parked his car at the school and then went into his boot and put on his balaclava, a cap, some gloves and grabbed some plastic bags and a knife. He then walked down the path that led to the street Hannes lived on. Just before entering the street, Gunnar stopped and put his feet in plastic bags and taped these to his trousers. Unbeknownst to him at the time, the bottom of the plastic bags had totally shredded and torn by the time he had gotten to Hannes's front door. <laughs> he tried the front door and the back door, but both were locked. He then tried the garage door and managed to get into his property this way. He stood over Hannes whilst he slept and then stabbed him twice in the chest. Hannes had woken up and had fallen out of bed and had tried to crawl away, at which point Gunnar had stabbed him in the neck. Fury then seemed to take over Gunnar as he continued to stab Hannes, even when he'd stopped moving. Gunnar had then run back to his car and driven to a pier nearby. CCTV footage shows him at 6.20am throwing his jacket and other items into the water below the pier. He later told police that he had disposed of the knife at that pier as well. Gunnar then drove back to his house. He put his outer layer of clothing into a bag and put it in a bin on the street, and then he let himself into the home. He went upstairs to where Hilda was sleeping in his bed and he leaned over and kissed her. He then went downstairs and lay down on the sofa with his little brother and the rest we know. Hilda woke up and came downstairs at around 11.30 that morning and Gunnar drove her home. Oh. Hilda said that after all this information was revealed, she finally understood why Gunnar had been so keen to enter the house that morning with her. She said she is so glad she didn't let him in, because if she had, he may have destroyed the footprint that was by the bed, which of course was the only evidence they'd had against him. Divers were called in to search the water where Gunnar had thrown the murder weapon and his clothes, but they couldn't find any of it. Later on in the investigation, however, two 15-year-old boys playing by the shore found a knife that had washed up and handed it into the police. Detectives said that the knife matched the type of knife that was used to murder Hannes and it was sent for forensic testing in Sweden. In quite a shocking twist, the DNA found on the knife didn't match Gunnar's, but the police didn't see this as an issue. They felt they had enough to take this case to trial and that is what they did. Did the DNA on the knife match anyone? Like, was it those of the people who handed it in? I guess not, although to say that. 
Um, it's not really clear at all. It definitely, there seem to be traces of blood sort of in the very, uh, how do I describe it? Like where the knife meets the handle, there yeah. was like a little groove there. And I think there was Hannes's blood on that. Um, but the other DNA I think was foreign because I don't think, um, I'm sure that there was probably DNA on there that matched the boys who had found it. Um, but there yeah. was like another piece of DNA on there that didn't match anyone. Um, so that was obviously quite suspicious, but I guess the police thought it didn't really matter. They had his entire confession, so. Yeah. Unfortunately for Hannes's family, three different psychologists' reports deemed that Gunnar was not of sound mind and was not fit to stand trial for his murder. Oh, really? What did they say? So, a court hearing heard that Gunnar's father had committed suicide when he'd been just nine years old, and they found that since then Gunnar had become very isolated from society and that he'd been stuck in a vulnerable and childlike state since the death of his father. They deemed that this isolated feeling had been broken when Gunnar had fallen in love with Hilda and that this infatuation and obsession for her had stemmed from that. Lots of reports state that the psychologists deemed that Gunnar was suffering from Amos Insanus, a type of insanity that stems from being lovesick. I can only find reference to this Amos Insanus in relation to this case. I really don't know if it's just an Icelandic term or what, but when I tried to research this, nothing came up. Some reports also call it Amer Insanus, but I can't find information on that either. I mean, I don't know. Is this or anything like this anything you've heard about, Sal, or anything that you learn? No, so I've not heard of the term. Um, definitely not something that we covered, but we did do some things. And um, social pain can be quite powerful. Like it ignites the same receptors and like pathways in your brain as physical pain. So things like loneliness activate the same thing as you know, if you get punched, the same sort of emotions, um, which I always found quite surprising. Mm -hmm. So I don't doubt the power of, yeah, being in love and not being able to be with the person you love. I'm sure that probably is, you know, similar, very powerful set of uh, chemicals and things that go on inside the body. Um, But no, it's not something I've ever come across or, like you say, heard of in any other cases, which you'd think if it was a well-known defence. I mean, most cases involve some sort of heartbroken lover, don't they? You'd think you would hear of it a lot more. So I'm wondering Mm. if it is slightly more unique to Iceland, maybe. Yeah, I kind of got that impression as well, because... Like I said at the beginning, I really couldn't find very much information on this case at all. But when I kind of Googled this Amos and Sanos um, term, that case came up, like no other case or anything like that came up. So I don't know if it was specific to the psychologists um, in, in this case or what. But like you said, I think that's quite interesting that, yeah, I hadn't hadn't realised that, that um, social, what did you call it, social pain or... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just a term I made up. <laughs> um, but like, the, yeah, the point is stuff like that's not non-physical. So yeah, things like loneliness, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I do think that's so interesting. And that could have led him to feel these, yeah, I guess, very abnormal thoughts about killing and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I mean, whether it's like a reason for him to do what he did, I don't think we can say, but... I mean, in fact, we can we can say it's not <laughs> like there's lots of people who can't be with the person they love and don't go around killing that person's partner. Mm-hmm. But that said, like, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he was in some kind of distress. And it sounds to me, to be honest, more like that some of the stuff that's went on in his childhood has maybe, yeah, caused mm-hmm. him to have some slightly abnormal thinking. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Definitely be something I'll have a little look up after the case. Well, if you can find anything on it, let me know because I literally cannot find anything on it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's hard as well because in reference to that in this case, 
I kind of wanted to know why did they come to this conclusion, um, but I couldn't really find anything either. The only thing that I could see was that this diagnosis maybe came from statements that Gunnar had made, such as um, one statement was, I love Hilda. She was supposed to be with me. She was not supposed to be with him. Um, But I mean, other than that, I can't really find anything. Yeah, very strange. But that sounds to me like a separate issue, really. Like she was supposed to be with Mm -hmm. me is like maladaptive thinking, isn't it? Like that isn't how... There's nothing supposed when it comes to relationships, etc. So you can you yeah. can kind of see that he's clearly not thinking the same way that you or I might, but who knows quite why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so psychologists in this case also said that they deemed that Gunnar also had multiple personalities. Um, so that's obviously what is now called dissociative identity disorder. I can't really find any other information on this either or why or how they came to this conclusion. There is reference in some articles to Gunnar living in two worlds, uh, one world where his father was still alive and where he lived a perfect life with Hilda. And in that world, Hannah stood in the way of his life um, or of that life. Um, And the other world, of course, being reality. Uh, But yeah, kind of very similar to that Amos and Sanas. That's all I kind kind of find on that point with regards to this case and that's really strange actually because that's not very widely diagnosed at all like i'd even go as far as to say there's some people who question whether it it even exists beyond kind Mm -hmm. of like delusions um and yeah sort of paranoia etc i mean there's lots of people who do but truly documented cases um are incredibly rare so it's interesting that that's the um conclusion they reached as well Well, completely. And I don't know a lot about um, dissociative identity disorder at all. But I was of the opinion that it's when um, when someone has different, obviously different personalities, but to the point where they're like different alters, aren't they? I think they're called alters or multiples or something. Um, And I don't when I read kind of why they'd said that and it was that he lived in two different worlds. I didn't think that is what did was i didn't think that it was living in two worlds i thought it was being different people if that makes sense i've explained that really badly but i don't know if you get what i'm trying to say yeah i mean i think i don't think you can probably really distinguish it like that because i think you could argue that all of the different people their worlds are different like when you see very um mm. i mean this is not factually correct but if you think of, like the film split for example the world in yeah. which his childlike personality lives in is arguably going to be a different world to you know his murderous evil monster personality so i think mm-hmm. like it's hard to really distinguish it in that sense because surely like a world in which you're a completely different member of society is a different world either way but i do i see your point um that that yeah and i would agree to me it doesn't necessarily sound like did more just yeah he's kind of a deluded man that has like fantasies and has lost touch with reality <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, no, okay. Actually, yeah, that's a really. I take your point. That is good. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I hadn't thought of it like that. So, thank you for that. Mm. That sounded really sarcastic. I didn't mean that to be sarcastic. <laughs> no, I don't think it did. <laughs> um. So. On the 1st of March 2011, the judge in the case at the Reckians District Court accepted the psychologist's recommendation that Gunnar was not mentally sound enough to stand trial, and instead he was admitted to a facility that would help him with his mental health. 
He also ordered Gunnar to pay 1.8 million Icelandic krona to Hannes' parents. Uh, so that's about 10,000 of our great British pounds. And oh. he was also ordered to pay 1.2 million Icelandic krona to Hilda as payment for emotional damages. I guess it isn't surprising that Hannes' family weren't happy with this decision. They released a lengthy statement after this decision and cited paragraphs from the Journal of Criminal Responsibility of People with Multiple Personality Disorder. They said that psychologists had used this journal when they first assessed Gunnar, um, and the paragraph that they read in their statement said, First, if all of the multiples alters know about and acquiesce in the crime, he should be guilty. Second, if the innocent alters make such a limited appearance that punishing them only causes a trivial harm, the multiple should be guilty. Finally, if the multiple is highly organised as some, especially those in treatment, are, the multiple should be guilty. They said that based on this paragraph from the journal, Gunnar should have been found guilty of murder and should be made to take responsibility for his actions. Hannes' sister said that she didn't understand why he was not found responsible when it was clear that he had planned this for a long time. She said the police had documentation that proved that Gunnar had been planning this for years. I guess we do know that he had been planning it for almost two years and had been collecting things to add to his kill kit for a long time. And I understand why, to Hannes' sister, this looks and feels like premeditation because, I mean, well, well it is. Like, it is premeditation. Yeah, no, absolutely. Over a very long period of time. And actually, as well, I think it's kind of important to note that he was clearly, for the most part, a high-functioning individual. Mm. Like, he was able to maintain these relationships. Yes, things like declaring your love online are a slightly strange thing to do. But that said, you know, Hannes was happy for Hilda to go out drinking with him all night. He obviously didn't think he was a man on the brink of, yeah, some sort of mental health breakdown. Mm. So, actually... Yeah, for the most part, this does sound like a premeditated crime by someone who was pretty compassmentous. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. I understand why they would be very frustrated. Um, And I think for them, like you said, um, Gunnar was someone that they knew, that the family knew. He'd been over to Hannes' house. So, for example, Hannes' sister did know him. And um, I think this... Uh, determination that he was of unsound mind was to them completely out of the blue. I don't think it was something that they'd considered at all because, like you said, he'd been a very high-functioning member of society and they'd never seen any kind of suggestion that uh, he was maybe of unsound mind. Yeah, and that's why I find it surprising that three psychologists all reached the same conclusion Um, because you've got to wonder like a little bit how this man has gone from being almost fine albeit plotting to kill someone but from the outwards looking in fine um to having three psychologists agree with what really is quite an extreme mental health diagnosis um like mm. i said it's not one that's handed out very often so i find that quite an interesting leap if you will particularly mm-hmm. when in other cases and this may be cultural i don't know but you sort of think in other cases lots of people obviously try to claim a separate personality and a lot of the time they're just sentenced as you know as you know that isn't brought in to the sentencing at all like they're just sentenced as if they were just an individual who's done something wrong so yeah it's quite interesting i think yeah i find it really fascinating but i don't know if it's something to it must it must just be to do with the Icelandic justice system and the way they do things because I mean we did touch on it slightly um when we talked about um Celia Redegaard do you remember and like the way the completely different way in which that justice system works over in Iceland 
Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's maybe just something to do with that. Maybe they, I don't want to say they take things more seriously, but maybe they're just more cautious with the way that they deal with things like that. Whereas, uh, kind of over here, we're much more likely to not take that into account in terms of like, well, the criminal justice system is less likely to take that into account. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the family concluded their statement by saying, it is an absolutely unacceptable message to society that Hannes's life is estimated as worthless, given that a cold-blooded murderer is getting away with the crime of having planned Hannes's murder for more than an entire year and then killing him in such a brutal manner. The family said that they were concerned that Gunnar would be back out on the streets within a few months or years. A senior physician stated that the psychiatric ward where Gunnar was going to be taken was not somewhere that released patients early. He said that some have stayed there for several years and some have even stayed for 18 years, with some others spending their whole lives there. He said that when individuals are released, they are still kept under supervision outside the institution as well. He said that it is much more serious to be ruled non compus mentis, which is Latin for of unsound mind, rather than being found guilty. He said the rules are much stricter in these institutions than they are in prison. And that is obviously kind of something that you've touched on a lot before, actually, Sal, where you've said people claim uh, not guilty by reason of insanity because they think it will be better for them when actually it is worse. Um, so I kind of do agree with the, with what this senior physician is stating here. Yeah, no, I, I would, to be fair. I mean, yeah, you particularly if you really are are of sound mind to suddenly be surrounded by people who will be having varying degrees of problems I think sounds a lot more intimidating to be honest mm -hmm. and as we've talked before like some people say it's much harder to get out yeah. to prove for a person to prove they really are completely sane I mean how do you do that exactly well yeah completely you say that you're sane <laughs> yeah so this case actually did not end here Instead, it was appealed to the Supreme Court, who deemed that it would be the court's decision to decide whether Gunnar really had no control over his actions when he had murdered Hannes. The Supreme Court looked into the months of planning, the goal of not getting caught, the bags on his feet, and other things like that. They said there had been a blatant attempt at getting rid of the murder weapon, and they deemed that he must have understood the nature of the crime and the severity of his actions if he went to such trouble to hide what he had done. Yes, I'd agree. So the Supreme Court felt that he was responsible for his actions that morning and that he had known what he was doing. They referenced his defence of being lovesick and threw this defence out. They said that psychiatrist reports had shown that after his first court hearing, his feelings for Hilda had passed and he was no longer obsessed or infatuated or even in love with her. They said that if he really had been suffering Amos and Sanos, these feelings would have never passed so quickly. The Supreme Court found Gunnar guilty of murder and he was sentenced to 16 years in prison for killing Hannes. Oh, wow. Completely overturned mm -hmm, Completely. And Hannes's family were over the moon and they felt that they could finally start their road to recovery and healing from their loss now that justice had been served. Wow. So that's quite an interesting case, isn't it? Like, I think it's pretty rare that um, sentences or yeah convictions get overturned in quite such mm -hmm. a big way. And also just to have two such unique defences used that were successful and unanimous amongst psychologists. Mm. I mean, how many cases have we, like, researched or watched where, like, two psychologists can't even agree on some something that, in my mind, seems, like, more mm -hmm. obvious? Like, it's quite hard, I think, to get, like, expert witnesses to mm. agree. But in this case, to, yeah, have all of them agree, the judge, like, heed that and take it into sentencing, and then a Supreme Court just completely overrule 
the initial sentencing. But to be honest, I think it was right. Like I think that was premeditated for so long. Like they say, he was very being able to be very calculated in terms of getting like rid of the murder weapon. He didn't come back seeming like a crazed second personality back to the flat did he came back and calmly sort of played with his brother mm-hmm. and dropped Hilda home in the morning was persistent about going into the house which again shows like he was still well aware of what he'd done like it doesn't sound like someone who'd suddenly resorted back to his normal self or whatever like I yeah I didn't personally see any evidence for there for like DID mm-hmm. so I'm pleased with that result I think actually I mean regardless you could say that whether he'd gone to like a psychiatric facility or to prison you could say either way he's going to lose a lot of his freedoms and spend time behind bars and who knows like maybe psychiatric facilities are good for everyone there's clearly something wrong with him mm-hmm. do you know what I mean like he's still a cold-blooded mm-hmm. killer um so he probably could have benefited from being in either but I can see that from a family's point of view prison feels like the justice it feels like the world accepting he did something Mm -hmm. wrong because I think that's the hard thing about um some of the like sort of mental health diagnosis I think for victims families sometimes they feel like the perpetrator is being absolved of any guilt yeah I completely agree because it does it does feel like that because they aren't found they aren't found guilty or they're found not guilty by reason of insanity or something like that or in this instance he wasn't even he wasn't even allowed to go to a hearing you know uh, Hannes's family didn't even get their day in court as it were because it was decided that he wasn't of sound mind to stand trial so you can completely understand why that'd be devastating for them yeah and it shifts perception I think as well doesn't it like people feel more sorry for them suddenly mm-hmm. instead of being like oh my god they're a monster they're sort of like oh they had no control and things and I think like if for example you were Hannah's sister who maybe like knew Gunnar a bit and had seen him you mm-hmm. you can see how it would feel like a huge miscarriage of justice if you kind of think no hang on like the guy I knew was completely normal and yeah obsessed with my brother's fiance but normal for the most part and I know it's a poor word to use but I think that kind of that's how they'd be feeling um yeah so you can see then how suddenly to get that conviction would be really hard yeah absolutely I can understand why anyone any of his family would have felt that way um but just from like I don't know like Gunnar's point of view you know he's saying that he loved Hilda so much that he almost like killed for her because he wanted to be with her but if you loved someone that much would you send them into a house where you knew there was a gruesome gruesome scene awaiting them I almost feel like if you love someone that much you'd want to protect them from seeing something like that but he was more than happy to send her into that house to discover Hannes's body do you know what I mean I just feel like that's so cruel above everything else that he did but wasn't he trying, he tried to go in though, didn't he? Presumably to for it to stop her seeing it. Do you think that it was to stop or do you think, because I took that as, it could have been that. I thought I took that more as he wanted to go in to kind of like, you know, like get that second kick of like what he'd done. Oh no, I think, um, I don't know, I would have lent more towards him not wanting her to see it and possibly actually to be the one who found it so he could call it in and feign surprise. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that's fair enough. I don't know. I mean, I guess neither of us know, but that's that's a really interesting take on it. Yeah, I mean, either way, I think it's, it's still just a stupid plan, isn't it? Because firstly, you're still hurting the person you love, like whether you like it or not, she did love Hannah's and you're still going to break Hilda's mm-hmm. heart by any account. Um, and also it's just like that whole naive thing as if she'll just be with you yeah, now. Yeah. Like, it's not that simple. You're not the only two people in the whole world. 
Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so a really, really sad case. Um, but I think, yeah, we're both in agreement, aren't we, Sal, that we're pleased that Hannes's family finally got justice. Yep. Crazy things we do for love. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, as always, for supporting this show and listening to our podcast. If you wish to support our show with your pennies and get extra content, then you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash infractionthepod. And we are also on Instagram and Facebook at infraction.thepod. Uh, and another little request, um, thank you to everyone who has done so far. But if you haven't, we'd be super grateful if you could leave us a review. Uh, that can be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Um, it just really helps us reach more people because the algorithms mean it promotes us uh, on like different charts and feeds. So we'd be super grateful um, mm-hmm. if you do. It only takes a couple of minutes and it can be anonymous. <laughs> and it can even be horrible if you like. Uh, no. <laughs> Preferably nice ones. But as always, we do welcome feedback be that case suggestions thoughts yeah anything thanks all thank you have a great week bye bye